Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. We are going to continue our series on the storehouse teaching. I had many people last week tell me how much they appreciate our church's approach on money inside the Bible and what it looks like. The Bible is not a prosperity gospel. The Bible is not a uh, you've got to be poor your whole life gospel. The Bible does teach, and this is the first time in two years we've even talked about money at all, but the Bible does teach there is stewardship to our resources, and it teaches us how we can steward those resources properly. I want to encourage you to go back and watch last week's message. Um, We got a little excited, and the first 15 minutes, man, there's just some good content that came out last week, if I don't say so myself, and um, you can kind of get caught up with where we're at and where we're going. When we refer to the word storehouse, the Bible says that God will bless your barns. Um, And the word barns comes from a Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word can be translated either barns or storehouses. So for this series, I'm calling it storehouses because I don't like the word barns. If you don't know why I don't like the word barns, go back and watch last week's message. You'll find out why I don't like the word barn. It's kind of funny, Uh, but I like this idea of storehouses better. And when God gives us this word in saying that there are storehouses, he uses it in the plural vernacular, meaning there is more than one storehouse. There are multiple types of storehouse. So the kind of storehouse, the size of storehouse uh, that you operate in is in direct proportion to how you operate within your purpose. The size and the kind of storehouse that you develop is in direct proportion to how much you operate in your purpose. If you operate in your purpose the way that God's called you, your storehouse will look differently than someone who does not operate in the purpose that God has for them. Do you understand that? The greater in tune you are with your purpose that you are walking in, the greater measure of blessing that your storehouse will have inside of it. We said that there are three kinds of storehouses that we are going to look at in this series, specifically regarding to the spiritual and financial use storehouse. And last week, we looked in your notes, number one, we looked at the immediate use storehouse. Uh, This storehouse is likened to a wallet, like a billfold that you carry on you. You would need to have liquid cash, two to three weeks of resources available at any given time. In the immediate use storehouse, these funds are what's there for you to cover your expenses that you have day in and day out. Jesus used an immediate use storehouse, and it would have had enough money in it to cover about two weeks worth of expenses. The Bible shows us that there was a probably around 200 denarii inside this storehouse. A denarii is a single day's wage for an employee. So Jesus would keep about 200 days wages of, uh, of pay, of income in his uh, money box or his purse that he would carry on him. But what we have to realize and remember is that Jesus wasn't just responsible for himself. He was responsible for 12 men, their families, and himself. They had lodging costs. They had travel costs. They had food costs. So when you look at all the costs that they would operate in in a two-week period, it would be about 200 denarii, which is where we get our two-week paycheck from. 
Have you ever heard that before? Huh? See, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You already learned something. Um, and then we have the second kind of storehouse is what we're going to look at today. But before I tell you what it is, um, I want to give you a side note. Let's look in your notes and let's read Proverbs 13. Actually, Adrian, you read Proverbs 13. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Meaning there is enough blessing here to trickle down to your grandkids. Here is the part of the verse that many people don't talk about. We all get the money part. We got to leave money for our kids, kids and all that. Um, we need to leave an inheritance of financial blessing. But this is speaking more than just money. In fact, the material blessing that is talking about of money comes second to what the inheritance is supposed to be. Let me show you. Solomon writes in that verse, a good man. A good man is someone who has moral ethics. A good man is someone who has work ethics. A good man is someone who is wholesome, someone who can leave a heritage worth living. So when you look at your life and you may be coming to the downhill side of your life and you may be thinking, I haven't reached the pinnacle of wealth that I thought I was going to be in. Or maybe a series of circumstances happen and the money side of this scripture doesn't seem like you can fulfill it. You're, you're at a place where you're like, hey, I don't have the budget to leave and find financial inheritance for my children's children. I want to show you some love this morning and show there's something even more important that you can leave as an inheritance. You can be encouraged knowing that you still have a purpose in leaving an inheritance for your family. When Solomon wrote, a good man, he is implying more than money. You may not be able to leave cash. You may not be able to leave property. But what you can leave your children is a legacy that is worth living, a legacy of what a good man would present. And what, uh, what Solomon is saying here is you can leave a legacy of godliness. You may not have the funds to leave a financial legacy, but you can leave a legacy of what God looks like in a relationship with someone who is set on fire for what God has called them to do. My dad said a few years ago, my job in raising my two children has been done for a while. I now focus my attention on my grandkids. What is he doing? He's not leaving a financial inheritance. He is leaving a godly legacy. And I can tell you this, being on this side of things, whenever uh, we will take care of their finances, hopefully they leave them millions. I don't know what their budget looks like, but that's what I'm praying for, father and mother. Leave my kids millions. But if, if that's not the case, I don't care because what's more important is the godly legacy that they can live. They can teach my kids what it's like to follow after God. They can teach my kids what it's like to be sold out for day in and day out because it's the grind that you got to teach them because it's hard being a Christian sometimes. It's hard waking up every day and making the right choices, but what they can instill into their grandchildren, my children, is this life is worth living. I'm going to show you how, and every time I get around them, I'm going to pour into their lives. While ago, this has, uh, Matthew came up to me uh, yesterday, and he said, I want to give money to the church. I said, great, go put it in the offering bucket. So whenever I saw Papa, I said, Matthew, go talk to Papa, and know what Papa did. Papa didn't go to him and say, hey, take this money and put it in the offering. He said, why are you doing this? 
What's the purpose and why you're giving this? He is teaching a godly legacy because I know the blessing of God. I'm already a tither. I'm already a giver. They've got to learn it for themselves. And if you have someone in their life who can speak into them, they will have the same opportunity to walk in the same blessing that I walk in. An inheritance is not just a gift of money, but it's a way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's showing that we put our trust in God and any follower of Christ can leave an inheritance worth living if you put God at the forefront. So as we look at our storehouses, the first storehouse is the immediate use storehouse. That was my side note. Cash on hand, spending money in the here and now. The second storehouse that we look at, write down in your notes, The second storehouse we find in Deuteronomy is the intermediate use storehouse. We read 18 verses last week in Deuteronomy. We're not going to go through them all again, but there is one particular verse that I want you to look at in your notes and follow along as Adrienne reads Deuteronomy 28, 8. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. In this storehouse, God is referring to barns. Can you carry a barn? No, you can't carry a barn. Looking back at Abraham, Abraham didn't have barns. The money he had was found in his livestock. Uh, He would move around often, and so he didn't need barns as as a grain barn or a silo barn or a wheat barn. His barns would have been land where he fed his cattle. So in the immediate use storehouse, this is a storehouse that we see that Joseph used. Joseph or or Pharaoh had a dream and in his dream, he didn't know what it meant. And they said, can anyone interpret this dream? And his men say, there's a guy named Joseph who's in prison. He can interpret the dream. Long story short, he says, you're gonna have seven years of good and seven years of bad. In the seven years of good, plan for the seven years of bad. Put back resources now for what's to come. So in the immediate use storehouse, it is putting back resources for what's to come in the future. You don't know what next year is going to look like. You don't know what three years is going to look like. So whenever we operate our finances according to biblical standards, there is a storehouse that we need to develop and that storehouse is putting funds back for what's to come. Joseph did seven years. This type of storehouse is to sustain you in the long term. You may have a storehouse for emergencies. We all know they come up, right? Things that we didn't think about, things that we don't know about. Your kid falls and breaks their arm. You're like, oh, man, that's expensive. Oh, man, your kid needs braces. Oh, no, that's expensive. No, you know they're coming. So start putting money back aside for what's to come. You, you know that next year your wife's been bugging you to go on vacation and, and it's going to be expensive and you keep saying, I don't have the money, we can't afford to do it. Well, why not? Start now to prepare for what's to come. You can put money back every month, be consistent, so that way when the time comes, you have a storehouse of funds available for your usage. Not unbiblical to be smart with money. Storehouses are not evil. What God shows us through text is having a lot of money is not the problem. It's are you wise with your money 
according to what scripture looks like. Uh, Many pastors teach this idea that the Bible is a prosperity gospel and you do this and God's gonna do this and you can have this and you can have three houses then four houses then five. That's not biblical prosperity. But on the flip side, you have pastors who are broke, who are lazy, who don't have jobs and sit there and say, oh, God just made the church to be broke and the people to be broke. And that's not biblical either. My agenda is not to present my side. My agenda is to present what the word of God teaches about financial stewardship, and my side is irrelevant. My side is what God wants. My approach is what the Bible says. So I don't have an agenda of, I need more money. You need to be broke. I need to be rich. I need to be poor. You need to be rich. My agenda is, how do we align our finances with the word of God to have the greatest potential for our finances to look the way that the Bible has called them to look? And that's what this series is all about. Basically, the intermediate storehouse is for a long-term savings plan. The idea that Jesus teaches against is in the Bible is not having money, but rather how you handle your money. Are, are you tight-fisted or are you loose hand? Are you tight-fisted with that money? I work hard for that money. I work hard for the money. You, you're tight-fisted with your money or are you loose hand? As easy as it comes, as easy as it goes, or as hard as it comes, the harder I'm not going to let it go. This idea of money in this particular way is troubling because whenever you have a storehouse full of money, it's easy to look at your supply instead of your Jesus. Let, let me give you an illustration. Uh, if you carry $1,000, let's say everyone had $1,000 in your wallet. You pull out, you got 1000 bucks in there. How many of you would go and quit your job tomorrow and never go to work again? Other than Josh, because he'd live off his wife. <laughs> Whenever you don't have much, it's easy to put your faith in God because you need God to intervene. When you have a lot, you look at your finances as I don't really need help anymore because look, I got it all under control. So the heart of what Jesus is speaking to is not having money. It's whenever you have the money, what is your heart condition towards the money that he has been able to get into your hands? But let me ask this. If, I, if you woke up tomorrow and you went into your savings account and you had $5 million in your savings account, how many of you quit your job and say, amen, I'm going to quit? Yeah, we would probably quit our job. Why? Because there's abundant of resources there. Now we're not dependent on what tomorrow looks like. So what happens is Jesus wants you dependent upon him. And whenever you start creating a certain amount of wealth, you begin to think you had something to do with it. And you take your dependency off Jesus and put it on yourself. (laughs) It it no longer takes trust. It no longer takes faith to, to, uh, let me say it this way. It, it, It doesn't take any faith whenever your barns are stockpiled. It doesn't take trust whenever you can go to the bank and write that check for that house or that car or whatever. That doesn't take trust in God. The problem that Jesus has is not you having money. He doesn't care if you have money. His streets are made of gold. Come on now, you think he worries about you? He cares if the money has you. Having money in your storehouse is not bad. It's your attitude towards what you do with your storehouse that makes the difference. 
let me give you a great Bible example in your notes. Let's look at 12, uh, Luke chapter 12, and then we're going to break that open just a second, then we'll go to the next one. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Understand, that was the blessing of God. So there's nothing wrong with blessing, but look what happens. As we look through this parable, as Adrian reads it, look how many times we see a personal pronoun. And if you don't know what that is, I put it in bold. That way you don't have to feel like you're, not, you're left out. Okay, go for it. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Emphasize and, the bolds. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him. <laughs> I think this word's funny. Sorry. Fool. <laughs> <laughs> this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God Jesus was not against laying up treasure for yourself God is the one who prospered this man what Jesus was warning against this man laid up treasure so much that he forgot to give the blessing of what came to him his heart was in the wrong place. His actions were in the wrong place. His motives were in the wrong place. Deuteronomy 28, the blessing of God came upon the children of Israel and God said, you will lend and not borrow. Why do you think Israel is so blessed? Because God wanted them to be a blessing to others. You can't be financially strong if you're, not, if you're uh, uh, borrowing money. Yeah. The only way you're financially strong is if you're the lender. So if God thought it was wrong for you to be blessed, why would he tell the nation that he is supporting, that he is behind, that he has put into place, I want you to lend and not borrow? So that kind of breaks the cycle of you thinking as a Christian you're supposed to be poor. I don't know about you, but the only people that borrow money are the ones who don't have it. How many times growing up was like, Dad, I need $100. Dad, I need $10. Dad, I want that dirt bike. Why was I going to him? Because I couldn't afford it. He had the money. I was broke, he had the money. If I'm broke, I don't have any money. So how can you be a lender if you're broke? All right. <laughs> the ones who are lending the money are the ones who have it. <laughs> so if you have a mindset of the follower of Christ, you don't have to be poor. You may think that, uh, I, I just don't know if God wants me to be prosperous, to be blessed, shut your own mouth. God wants you to have all good things. Uh, being a follower of Christ means that um, the that it, being a follower of Christ. Whenever you apply biblical truths to your finances, it activates something in your finances that only God can do. And I want to show it to you, but next week. <laughs> Um, next week's going to rock your socks off. You're going to love it. Um, but in, in Luke, in the text we just read, I, I kind of confused myself a little bit there. In Luke, in the text that we just read, 13 times he uses a personal pronoun and talks about himself. The number of 13 is, is always associated with rebellion. So this man is called a fool because he never factored the God equation into the storehouse of his decisions. When you don't factor the God factor into what you're doing, the Bible calls you a fool. Not me. I love you. 
I wouldn't call you a fool. But the Bible would if you don't factor in what God will do for you. If you don't factor in the, the God factor. Whenever I run my business, I run our business with the God factor. When we raise our kids, we raise our kids with the God factor. When we give, we give with the God factor. When we go into a house, I go into that house with the God factor. Whenever I'm on the phone and the person on the phone is not doing what I need them to do, I recognize I have the God factor on my side. Whenever I go into a store, and this isn't really me, I'm saying this on behalf of my wife, I recognize the fact that that 30% off is a sign from God and I've got the God factor to go in here and buy whatever that item is. The God factor, whenever you live with the mindset that I operate inside the God factor, it changes what you do, what you say, how you act, who you are, the people you hang around, everything in our lives is associated with the God factor and if it doesn't have that a part of it I will not allow it to be a part of our lives because we are called to be set apart to do what God's called us to do and that puts the God factor on my life so now everything in my life now goes through the filter and through the lens of what is the God factor in this situation it's amazing how whenever you see Jesus on the cross the people were hurling insults at him if you would just take yourself down from the cross if you just the son of God do this. Let me tell you about the power of my Jesus. He could have called in a legion of angels and one, one angel killed 8,000. He could have called in a hundred legions of angels and wiped out the entire world, but he would not let someone else's words dictate his response to what he was supposed to do. So he said, my calling is too great. The God factor on my life is too predominant. I will not allow anyone to take the God factor away of what I'm about to do, of what I'm doing, of what I'm called to do. So Pathway Church, it's time to look at your life and say, what is the God factor in my life? That is how I will live. That is how I will operate. I'm getting excited. I'm about to take my jacket off because I'm sweating already. When we look at the blessing of God upon our lives, we operate with the blessing knowing that we have the God factor in favor of us. I love how my Aunt Nancy, when we were um, at her conference in, in uh, uh, Tennessee, did we go to that one in Tennessee? Somewhere, somewhere over there. She said, um, I don't have an anointing button on my calculator, but whenever I look at my finances, I just know the button's there. When I look at my relationships, I just know the button's there. The anointing button is there for me. The God factor is there for me. I've always got the God factor whenever I live my life according to the word of God. No, okay. It is good, isn't it? Uh, remember the phrase, what would Jesus do? Real popular. Have, have you guys had those bracelets? And I don't know, some of you probably had the wrist, the ankle brains and your nerds, but whatever. Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Um, great, great phrase, but what if you actually live with the mindset, all that I do is for Jesus, all that I am is for Jesus, all that I have is for Jesus, all that I produce is for Jesus, all that I'm given is to be given to Jesus, all that I live with the factor of the mindset of the God factor, what is my life supposed to look like? What would Jesus do? You already know what Jesus would do. You already know what Jesus did. Now I walk in what he's done because that's what the God factor really is. I'm not interested in what would Jesus do. I know what he would do. It's my job to walk in what he called me to walk in. There was um, a man by the name of Cornelius in the Bible. He was motivated to bless people. And I want to show you. We showed you the side whenever you look at the God factor and you say, I, 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 uh, God called him a fool. 
But when you look at the God factor and you bless people, let's look at the text in Luke, no, in Acts 10. Sorry, didn't flip over. And let's read Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Read the last line again. Your, your prayer. prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Alms are something you give directly to the poor. The Pharisees would blow their trumpets and show, look, we're helping everybody. Do, do, do. Look at me, I gave however much they would give. And Jesus said the reward that they get is man's approval and that's all they get but when Jesus looked at Cornelius he said your alms are ascended as a memorial before God Cornelius was a man of means he had a storehouse he was not giving away his last meal he was a Roman officer but listen to this it was not the fact that he had money that was wrong it was he was using it in the right way when it comes to your money what's your end game if your money is a means to bless people then all by means go out and get it and give it but if your money is to say look what I got I got to accumulate more stuff I got to accumulate more houses I got to accumulate more things God looks at that and has a different kind of thinking behind it than what a lot of preachers out there teach. He calls those people a fool. I don't want to be a fool. The immediate use storehouse can be a blessing or it can be a cursing, all based upon how you use it. Last week I mentioned to you that I don't believe that God wants you to stay poor, and I want to prove it to you in your notes. <laughs> I'm about to, this is, oh man. In Matthew chapter 11, read this um, in your notes, Matthew eleven four. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. All right, let's look at this verse again. I'm gonna take this little piece by piece. In each case, Jesus gives us a solution for the problem. Look at verse 5 again. The blind receive sight. So what's the problem? They're blind. What's the solution? They receive sight. Next portion. The lame will walk. What's the problem? They can't walk. They're lame. What's the answer? The lepers will be healed. So what the problem is? They're sick. What's the solution? The next portion, the deaf will hear. What's the problem? What's the answer? The next portion, the dead will live again. The problem is there is sin, and in sin, and our physical bodies die. The answer is in Christ, our spirit is made alive with Christ. There's a problem that we die. The solution is we're in Christ. So don't look past this last one. The poor have the good news. The problem is they are poor. The answer is they have the good news. You don't understand that. The word teaches poor people how to prosper. If there is a solution to the problem, why is it that he said the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise again, the poor have the good news? 
The good news is the solution for your poverty. <laughs> the poor have the good news, meaning the word teaches the poor people how to prosper. In every case, Jesus listed the problem, then he listed the solution for the problem. The poor have the good news, meaning the good news will provide the answer for their poverty. Jesus knew he couldn't just write you a check and send you money. If he did that, you would be in so much trouble. We have a family friend, or we did, um, Larry, Rain, or Larry and Linda, they had a daughter named Heather. Larry was very prosperous on the grocery store. His daughter, Heather, got into some financial problems, needed dad to bail her out. Uh, so she comes to dad, who, why wouldn't you go to your dad to bail you out? I went to that a lot of times, but dad bailed me out. But in this particular situation, uh, Heather went to Larry and said, dad, I got myself in a bind. And Larry said, let's look at your finances. He looked at the finances, and he said, yeah, you got yourself in a bind. And she said, Dad, we'd write a check. He's like, no, <laughs> not going to write a check. And she's like, I've learned my lesson. She said, no, you've got to learn a behavior shift. A behavior mindset has to change. There's got to be a mental shift to you to have to change in your finances. Because I can tell you this. Look at the people who win the lottery. 90% of them are broke within just a few years. And they got lots of money given to them. Why? They never learned the mind shift. So, so Heather comes to him and says, Dad, I need money. And Larry says, no, I'm not going to do it. Three years later, Heather is paying these bills off. Dad's sitting there saying, this, this, you got to do this. His dad, uh, Larry's doing this, you got to do this. You got to stay with it, you got to stay with it. You're, you're doing good, you're doing good. Three years later, so now we're six years later. I'm in Tulsa and uh, I call Heather because I find out what she's doing in my business and her, and her business would have commingling. And whenever I talked to her, she said, Taylor, in three years now, I'm one of the, the best property managers in Tulsa. I now own my own properties. My husband now has a job that's making money. She said, if my dad would have just written me a check, I would have been in the same situation just six years later. But because he said, I'm not going to write you a check, I'm going to walk you through this, he, she, she said, I, money's not our issue anymore. And my dad didn't write me a check for anything. What happened? It wasn't that her dad didn't love her. It wasn't that her dad, uh, Larry would write the check. He's got the money. He, he would have loved to write that check. What do you do if your daughter, my daughter needs something, she's going to get it. Isn't that right? Matthew's going to work for it, but she's going to get it. <laughs> it's a joy for me to buy them things, but Larry knew if I give it to you, you won't learn. Jesus could write you a check and put it in the mail today, and you go out there and be like, oh, my answers are solved. You wouldn't learn a thing. You'd be broke in a week. God, where are you at? Why are you doing this to me? You never learned. Jesus knew if I would have sent this, this person a check in the mail, they would be right in this position again. I need a mind shift to take place. Or how we prefer to say it around here, you need a renewed mind. You've got to have the mind of Christ. The attitude of Christ. What does the word say about this? What's the word say about my money? What's the word say about saving? What, the, what does the word teach me? The poor have the gospel preached to them. That only not means that they will be saved, but it is indicating that there is something in the message of the gospel that will break oppression over your life. Yeah. God wants to provide for people. I didn't say he wants to make everyone a millionaire. That's not where I'm going with this. But God is showing us the poor will have the gospel to teach them how they don't have to remain in that place. 
I want you to notice something in Matthew in your notes. Um, read Matthew 26. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. They are criticizing a lady for pouring expensive perfume on Jesus. But look at that verse. Jesus doesn't classify himself with the poor. Jesus didn't say, us poor people will always be here. He separated himself from the class of poverty. Jesus preached to the poor. That was not normal. In the days of the Bible, the poor people were castaways. The poor people were pushed aside. The poor people weren't given the same opportunities as everybody else. Jesus is showing that poor people are not excluded from what the gospel has. And if you take the gospel and apply it, you don't have to remain poor in resources, poor in thinking, poor in any way possible. So whenever we look at the immediate use storehouse, uh, we keep about two weeks of funds accessible in this storehouse. Uh, when we look at the intermediate use storehouse, Joseph had seven years in his storehouse. The Bible does not give us a clear answer on how much funds you should put in your storehouse. Um, I've debated if I should tell you what we do or not, and I'm not going to tell you the numbers, but I will say that you can, don't record this. <laughs> I, I, here's what we do my family, and what I'm working on on the church budget as well. We, we've chosen to put three years. Um, we have our immediate use storehouse. That, that's what she shops with. And <laughs> please pray for me. Then we have the intermediate use storehouse. This is money that we have for savings that we're looking at doing different projects that we have going on. We've decided, we've put three years inside this, what it cost us to live our lives for three years. Uh, and let me tell you something. I'm, I'm very transparent, probably a little too transparent. We had more. And just in the last two years, I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd wake up in the morning. I would go on my accounts. I would look at those things. <laughs> I love seeing those numbers. <laughs> I would wake up, and the first thing I was doing when I was waking up, I wasn't even saying hi to Adrian. I was, I was going on my bank accounts. Man, it's just fun to look at big numbers. And so what happened, and I'm just being very transparent with you. We're family. We love each other, right? Okay. Um, I got myself in a position in my business where I started looking at our accounts, and saying, look what I did. God, I don't need you to intervene for me anymore because I'm, I'm set. We're good. And I remember one night walking, I was, actually I walked into our RV in the, in the backyard, and when I walked in there, I didn't hear the Lord say, I, didn't, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I had this impression if you got it all, you can take care of it all. I knew exactly what that meant. And we came and gave away a whole lot of money. And I put ourselves in a position for us, because we own a business, so we put ourselves in a position just enough where I can't take my dependency off God. I can't say, God, I got this anymore. There's enough resources to cover what happens, but if I want to plan for our future, plan for what God, I can't do that with what I currently have. I have to say, Jesus, I'm completely dependent upon you. 
I had the, the illustration that Jesus gave us in Luke. I, 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 I. And what I really needed was the Cornelius spirit of saying, my hand is open. It's not about how much wealth I can accumulate. I will give a side note. If you have kids, my kids are going to be rich. We've already set them all up. I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. And I didn't have to go anything bad. I just had to work a whole, whole lot. This last week, we worked a whole, whole, whole lot. This morning, getting calls. My house is flooding. A whole, whole lot. But I want them to be in a position to where they can do what God's called them to do because I believe their purpose is bigger than mine. And we talked about it last week and we touched on it this morning that the purpose that you walk in will be in direct correlation to the storehouse that's established. I want to set their storehouse up because I believe their purpose is going to be bigger than mine. That's going to go further than mine. Now, now my job and my parents' job and her parents' job is to leave the godly legacy, and I guarantee if they walk away, the money's not theirs. I know a lot of people that say, I've left money for my grandkids, for my family, and their families are screwed up. They won't get it. Remember that. <laughs> so how do we build our storehouse? In your notes, real quick, it's super easy. This is how we gauge everything. We earn, we give, we save, we spend. That's it. We earn, we give, we save, we spend. In that order. If you cannot give and save, you need to adjust one of two things or two things. Either how much you earn or how much you spend. You may be needing to save up for a house or a car or whatever. Uh, you keep your immediate use storehouse filled, but then you put money back in your intermediate use storehouse for what's to come. Uh, if your credit cards are maxed out, then that's the first order of business. You, you need to get that stuff taken care of. Get, get some debts paid down. Look for side hustles. Bring in extra cash because... You've got to change either how much you earn or how much you spend. It's, it's, that, it's that easy. It's not that hard. Um, that means you, you, you don't go out and eat. What, what do we call it in our home? Strap down. Did you guys hear that? We call it strap down. There are seasons that we will go and say, hey, I have set a budget for us for this month. In this month, we strap down. We don't go out and eat. We don't go shopping. We don't go on Amazon. We don't go out cruising town using up gas money because that doesn't fit in the budget. You've got to be strict with your budget. It's not, that's stewardship. That's biblical wisdom. Keep telling her that. She doesn't understand that side of it. She's like, don't mess with my shopping money. No, strap down. Godly wisdom for our finances means that we are lenders and not borrowers. If you have credit card debt, you're a borrower. Come up with a plan to see it through. And every month, little by little, start chipping away at those things. Does that mean you don't get to go out to eat tomorrow night? You bet. That's exactly what that means. I don't get to go buy the, the latest outfit at Loft. Nope. You're, you're, you're a borrower. You can't be a lender and a borrower. 
And my job as your pastor is to get you where you all become lenders. And if I'm not sitting here asking for more money for the church, I'm asking for you to be in a place financially to do what God's called you to do. And you can't walk in your purpose to the fullness of it if you live in a mountain of debt. Okay, all right. You, you can, however, start today and you put a little bit back. Um, we have decided to attend certain conferences a year. Uh, these conferences cost us X amount of dollars. I don't get to that conference the week before and be like, oh man, I gotta come up with seven grand. How do I? I put money back every month. Every time that we get a paycheck, I put money back into a different account. Why? So when it comes time to pay for the airplane tickets, when it comes time to pay for the hotel, when it comes time to pay for their Disneyland trip and pay for all their stuff, we're not sitting here wondering, how are we going to afford it? How, or, or whenever you get to Disneyland, you're like, I really wish we could do this, but we don't have enough money. That's a terrible way to go through vacation. But if you budget and plan it, then you get to go and go free because you're like, hey, I've already planned all this out. I'm already, it changes your whole perspective on your vacation. You guys are quiet today, talking about money. People get all serious talking about money because you either have it or you don't. And normally it's the people that don't get serious. Because whenever you have it, you know where the blessing comes from. You know what God can do with it. <laughs> okay, I'm about to wrap this thing down. The, the, the most important thing you can do when you're budgeting, write down in your notes, the, 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 only, the second answer, the most important thing you can do when you're budgeting Give every dollar a name. That is the most important thing you can do. Every dollar that comes into your household, you give a name. Every line item that you buy at Walmart and you go and buy groceries, it's not, oh, I'm gonna put $500 back this month for grocery budget. No, it is, I'm gonna put $473 back. I am going to line item every single thing. You do it 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, be consistent with it every single day. And what you're going to notice, one of two things is gonna happen. One, you're gonna realize you're broke. Or number two, you realize you got more money than you thought you did. You're just not being a steward of what's coming in because you're using general terms instead of being specific about the dollars that are coming in. What I've noticed is people say, I don't have enough money. 99 out of 100 times, it's they have enough money, they're just not stewarding the money that they have properly. You don't understand how much debt I have. Well, it's because you made bad decisions and you're not stewarding properly because you're sitting here going out to eat every other day and not having a problem. Anybody who shops at Starbucks is not broke. We went there and bought a coffee for, I bought, we don't drink coffee, but I bought it for a friend of mine. It had him $8. I about gave that sucker back to him and said, no, forget that nonsense. I will not pay, Christina, I will not pay $8 for a cup of coffee. How much does it cost at home? 50 cents? Yeah, 50 cents at home. Eight bucks. That is absurd. Sorry, I'm not, if, you, if, that's your, if that's your guilty pleasure, then hey, by all means, go be broke. But hey, just, <laughs> but whenever you're in a financial place where you're like, hey, I just don't have the funds available, Line item your budget and begin to look and see where you can save or where you can earn because I promise you, you've got the money you need to do what you need to do. You're just not stewarding it properly because you live off general, general generalities. Uh, here's what I know about money. It, it, it goes a lot easier than it comes. <laughs> Am I the only one? Is my house the only house where you're like, man, I just worked 75 hours in the last three days and it's all gone already. Is there 75 hours in three days? I don't know, 48, 70, it's close. You, you get the idea. You do a whole lot of work and then you come in and 
and then your wife is like, oh, I want this. And you're just like, oh, doesn't fit our budget. You're doing better. You're doing better. Yeah. Can we buy this? <laughs> doing better. She just asks instead of tells now. Uh, we have immediate use storehouse. We keep two to three weeks resources. I'm closing down. In the intermediate use storehouses, we have multiple storehouses that we use for long-term savings and purposefully upcoming large expenditures. You have a savings account for maybe a car that you need to buy down the future. Everyone knows their car is going to go defunct within a few years. You're going, you're going to need some sort of mode of transportation. You know it's coming. Don't be shocked whenever your car breaks down and you don't have enough money. Start putting money back. You know that you want to go on a vacation in, in 2026. You're like, I want to go on one now. Too bad. You're going to have to wait till 2026 or when Whenever you can afford to pay cash for that thing. How much money do you need to put back? That's your job to figure that out. If the trip's going to cost you $3,000, then do the math. It's going to be in three years, and you just take $3,000, divide by 36 months, and you know exactly how much money you need to put back every month to see if you can afford to do it then. And don't look at it and say, well, we'll, we'll put some of this on credit card. No. We're lenders, not borrowers. You've got to have a mind shift change on how you operate your budget. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make this sinful world we live in your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, but I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K, dot com, Send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.